time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome into Scoops with Danny Mac, and this is the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Dan McLaughlin. A reminder, there is a doubleheader of baseball coming up, and we are celebrating the life of Lou Brock. Coming up on the program, Dan O'Neill, formerly of the Post-Dispatch, will be my guest, and we'll talk about what Lou Brock meant to him and so many people uh, in St. Louis, in and out of the game of baseball. So let's start with hearing some of the people around St. Louis that were touched by Lou Brock and what he meant to them. And we start with the Cardinal skipper, a guy that has been around the game for his entire life and a guy that's been around the Cardinal organization for well over a decade as he found out over the weekend that Lou Brock had passed away. And then he addressed the media over Zoom and was asked about the passing of Lou Brock. And that's the manager of the Cardinals, Mike Schild. Yeah, definitely appropriate to start with um, this sad news about Lou. You know, you're talking about an iconic Cardinal and, and that's saying something, but you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Cardinals and storied career, winning career, record setter, uh, World Series champion, and just a sweet person. You know, it's a really, really good man, and he embodies everything the St. Louis Cardinal organization is about. And we're clearly sad to hear about his passing. Our, our heart and prayers are, are with his family, you know, losing a, in, a, in a much safer place. Um, and, and probably, uh, probably get to play a little bit up there. But, uh, you know, we uh, our hearts are a little heavy for the passing of Lou, but um, we know he's in a better place. Lou Brock wound up with 938 stolen bases, and his longtime teammate is now the voice of the Cardinals, Mike Shannon. Well, he was ferocious. There was no doubt about it. And the opposition just, I mean, when he got on first base, the whole world paid attention, okay? Not only the infielders, they, they, they had to shorten up and they got a little nervous. The outfielders, they, they knew what was going to happen. They knew he had that great speed. So, I mean, and then to, to, to top that, he was fearless. He knew that. And he knew he put the fear of God in the opposition. And he, he relished in it. Just look at what he did during the World Series. And he came front and center. I mean, he, he almost hit 400 during World Series play. He just dominated everything. The numbers in the World Series were just incredible. Of the 134 hitters with at least 75 plate appearances in the Fall Classic, Brock's OPS ranks fourth all-time. Ahead of him, Ruth, Gehrig, and Mr. October. How about that? Ruth, Gehrig, and Mr. October. He was at his best in the biggest games. He loved the big stages. In 1967, he hit 414. He stole seven bases. He scored eight runs. In the 1968 World Series, hit 464 with another seven stolen bases and six extra base hits. Buster Olney of ESPN. His speed was difference-making. He, he played the outfield uh, and he was part of arguably the most one-sided trade in the history of baseball, like the worst mistake. And the interesting thing was is that it was a trade between rival teams, the Cubs and the Cardinals. The, in 1964, in the midst of that season, the Cardinals got Lou Brock in return for Ernie Brolio, who subsequently after that, in two and a half seasons with the Cubs, won a total of seven games. <laughs> and Lou Brock, on the other hand, went on to have over 3,000 hits, 
938 stolen bases. Uh, he retired as the all-time stolen base leader before uh, uh, Ricky Rick. Henderson broke his record. 1974, he set the record for stolen bases in a season, 118. You know, I, I knew him uh, very much around the edge, but everybody who did know him talked about what a nice and gracious person he was. And, you know, this morning, Johnny Bench, uh, who was a catcher who tried to throw him out, tweeted out that, you know, trying to throw out Lou Brock was, was his favorite challenge in baseball. Uh, he was someone who was very much revered. The trade was June fifteenth, 1964. Cardinals acquired Brock, a raw 24-year-old outfielder from the Cubs, in a trade that cost them a very popular right-hander, Ernie Brolio. He had been an 18-game winner for them the prior season, although he was 3-5 and five in 1964 and maybe, just maybe, perhaps injured. Immediately, the trade was not well-received by the Cardinals players. Quote, we thought it was the worst trade ever, said Bob Gibson at the time. I didn't know how good Lou would be. No one knew. I didn't even remember facing him. I heard it, though, thought, for who? How could you trade Brolio for that? But Brock, not counted on for power, but was as a table setter for the Cardinals. 348 he hit the rest of the 1964 season. 33 stolen bases, rallied to win the National League pennant on the last day of the regular season. They went on to beat the Yankees in a seven-game World Series to bring the Cardinals the first World Series title since 1946. Brock, after becoming a Cardinal, spent 16 years in St. Louis, 888 stolen bases, over 2,700 hits, six-time All-Star, two-time champion. Brolio, after becoming a Cub, three years, 33 starts, went 7-19, retired at the age of 30. It's one of the most lopsided deals in the history of the sport. We'll talk about that with Dan O'Neill. Will we ever see anything like it again? Malik Smith, by the way, led the league last year with 44 stolen bases total, 44 total in the league. So, Buster only, will we see it ever again? I was thinking there's no way in this modern era of analytics that they would let him run the way that he did because, you know, the the standard operating procedure now in baseball is that if you don't successfully steal at an 80% uh, rate, then you shouldn't be doing it. And he typically was more like 65 70%. He would get thrown out. You know, a, a few times, and in this era, where teams are risk averse and they just want to make sure that people don't uh, get thrown out, they don't lose outs on the bases, they probably would have slowed him down. Um, and, and you know, quite frankly, I think the game is is less interesting because of that. You know, I I loved as a kid. I was ten years old when he broke that record uh, and stole 118 bases in a season. You love that. You know, you loved him being in a showdown with a Johnny Bench and taking the leadoff first base and seeing who's going to win that as opposed to what we see now, which is basically, you know, base runners going a step or two off the bag but not really trying to trying to press their advantage. One of the things that's great about St. Louis, you come to the ballpark or you go to spring training, the Hall of Famers are there. Matt Holliday remembers seeing and meeting Lou Brock and what he meant to the club. I knew him as 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 a man and just the sweetest soul spirit um, always supported anybody's causes uh, Cardinals golf tournaments uh, children's hospitals uh, they were he and his wife are you know um, were just such uh, so supportive and willing to help and just uh, I guess just just sweet people just people uh, that, that uh, you know I think just live life 
with such joy and, and open hearts and open arms. And um, just he really, I guess when you meet Lou, um, he just takes you back with, with the how, um, I guess, just a, just a, such a humble spirit and, and just easy to be around and, and very uh, encouraging. Um, just somebody that, that made you feel like a million bucks. And I, I think that that's a, a great compliment for somebody when, when they walk into a room uh, they make it better. They they make it warmer. Um, and, and, you know, I got a chance to hear him speak a lot and just talk about his faith and, um, and his wife and, and just all the things that they did, I think, in the, in the St. Louis area and around the world, I'm sure. Um, probably more things than, than we even know. But uh, just a great human being, uh, a terrible uh, loss for, for us who are still here. Um, but you know, he's in a better place. And, and, uh, and so I, I just cherish the time that I got to spend with him. And like most Cardinal players, uh, the, one of the most amazing parts about being a St. Louis Cardinal is, is getting to be around people like Lou and, and, and the former, uh, players that, that spend time and spend time teaching you, uh, what they learned and, and that Cardinal, uh, sort of fraternity and cardinal way, uh, so to speak. It, it starts with, with men like Lou Brock. One of the series I get the chance to do for the St. Louis Cardinals, we call it an evening with the Cardinals. A few years ago, it was an evening with Lou Brock and Red Shandienst. And one of the questions I posed to Lou Brock, when did he know it started to click? Because he comes to St. Louis, he became a different player. Every player in the big league, or whatever sport he plays, there come a defining moment in the game whereby you know from your performance that the realization hit you that I can now play with these guys. I can play with these guys. And it happened to most players in the big league today. It happened about your third year. I was in my third year when it happened to me. And I'm playing in St. Louis. The moment in the game, we're playing Cincinnati Reds. Vader Pinson hit a line drive to right center field. Wrigley Field, the walls are 14 feet high. And this ball is near the top of the wall. And I decided that I was challenge this ball with Vader Pinson being a world-class speed runner. I went up against the wall and came down looking for the ball because Vader Pinson did not break stride in running, which meant that, to me, the ball was still in place somewhere. <laughs> so I need to find this ball. <laughs> because Vader is running as though, I know, I just played a double to an inside-the-park home run. That's my thought. And I'm standing there hoping that somehow I hope this doesn't happen. I, I just hope it is not true. So I'm looking for a ball, frantically looking around, and a fan above me said, if you look in your glove, you may find it. <laughs> I got to tell you, when you haven't caught a ball like that in your life, you're not going to look in your glove. <laughs> but because this fan said it in such a way, I thought, I can't find this ball. Vader's going to have an inside the park home run. 
So what did I got to lose? I might as well look in my glove. And I looked at my glove and there was a ball. <laughs> and I started to laugh prior to that. I was a person who didn't laugh, kid a joke. And I started laughing in Wrightville that day, running into the dugout. I'm still laughing. And the Cubs, all of my teammates gathered around me and said, boy, he has lost it. He is cracking. <laughs> Cracking up. Now, that happened about two weeks before I got traded. I was, uh, from that moment on, for the next 12 games, I was the hottest hitter in baseball. Hottest hitter in baseball. What does that mean? As a Cub, I was batting 230-something when this happened. <laughs> 12 games later, they were hitting 240. <laughs> And that's the time I was traded. But in that interim, I had become a big league ball player. And I got to St. Louis, first at bat. <laughs> I got on the plane when I heard I was traded. I, I, in fact, they didn't tell me I was traded. The general manager used the word, he said, your contract has been transferred. Wow, what does that mean? I'm going to Wenatchee, Washington, and I'm waiting for one of those minor league cities. And then he said, your contract has been transferred to the St. Louis Cardinals. And immediately I asked the question, what do they want with me? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, if I were you, I would catch the first thing out of Chicago and go find out why they wanted you. So I caught a plane, went to Houston. The cars were playing and read, and it was in the fifth inning. And somehow the Cardinals were very nice to me because they, they, they actually staged or had a police escort from the airport to the ballpark. And that never happened to me before. Boy, I'm big time stuff now. <laughs> and I get to the ballpark, get dressed, ran out on the field, and Johnny King says, grab a bat, hit for somebody. And I walked up to the plate and I swung at three pitches, missed all three of them. And my teammate said, I wonder what the next tree gonna be. Will it be Bill White for a bag of peanuts? <laughs> <laughs> so that was my introduction into the Cardinals and that was what it was like to be traded on June 15th. And it all came at the right moment because, as I said, the defining moment had al already happened. And, and which is a good question. So uh, I've read, you, you should be at, when were your defining moment? When did you really know you could play with these guys? Hey, by the way, I thought I was supposed to be doing this. <laughs> it's one of the most memorable nights I've ever had doing those nights with the St. Louis Cardinals, having both Lou and Red on stage. Coming up, We'll visit with Dan O'Neill, and we'll talk about the great life and legacy of Lou Brock. This is 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Takes a good lead, a big lead. Reisleben looks. He's going. The pitch is high. The throw is safe. He stole it. The throw got by the shortstop, and Brock has done it. They would have thrown him out, 
but the shortstop couldn't handle the bad throw. And this is it, folks. Brock has now stolen 893. He is going. The pitch is a strike. The throw, he is there. He did it. 105 for Lou Brock. An occasion like this goes beyond the momentary thrills of the game. It involves a lifetime of skill and effort. That's not an easy thing, but the moment is here. A 2-2 pitch. Breaking ball. Hit off the pitcher. To the third baseman. No play. Base hit. 3,000 for Lou Brock. Typical of the man, Jack. He's knocked down on the pitch before, and then he turns around and hits a line drive off the pitch and knocks him down. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon to join in all the festivities and to rub shoulders with some of the greatest players who have ever played Major League Baseball. You know, the dream of every professional athlete is to leave his mark upon his chosen sports. The desire of every professional athlete is to blaze a trail that is so long and wide that it would take a person to perform at a Hall of Fame level just to measure up. The Hall of Fame has been described by many as a museum for greatness. It's also been described as a place where those players who step into the pressure of the moment and emerged as heroes and that their feet transcend their own career and to this day those feats still remains the standards by which the game is played. And I'm proud today to be a part of it. One of the great writers in St. Louis for many, many years, long time at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and a guy that had many articles on Lou Brock and wrote one of the articles very recently, and I say recently within the last few years, and it's why I wanted to get him on, is Dan O'Neill. And Dan, it's always uh, great to hear your voice. I know you've got a bunch of books out on the Blues and the Cardinals, and we could talk about that, but I want to get you on to talk about uh, the late, great uh, Lou Brock. It's always good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm good, Dan. Always good to visit with you, my old radio partner. Absolutely. Um, when when you think of Lou Brock, what what comes to mind for you? Well, I think you know. I, 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 of course, I think a lot of people always think of the World Series when you think of Lou Brock. I mean, he was just so incredible in three World Series, three seven game World Series. He had just amazing numbers, you know, especially in '68 when he hit 464. And set a record with record with thirteen uh, hits in the World Series. Um, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a more dynamic player, uh, everyday player that is not, not pitcher per se, but but uh, in the lineup, everyday player uh, is Lou Brock, and that was especially highlighted in the World Series when he helped the Cardinals win two World Championships and lose a heartbreaker in '68 in Game Seven. But you know, the most amazing thing about his World Series stuff is he uh, did all of that in the series and was on two teams that won World Series. And yet, because of the presence of Bob Gibson, was never a World Series MVP. Um, so it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Here's another amazing thing. I was kind of looking at some of Lou's stats. And, 
you know, when he stole 118 bases in 1974, he was, uh, he turned 35 years old that summer. Uh, and as it turns out, he stole, he stole 938 bases in his career. 578 of those steals came after his 30th birthday. It's incredible. And two and 262 were after his 35th birthday. Right. So that's a pretty amazing uh, stat. And, uh, uh, just shows he, he he was a very unique player. I, I just there's not too many players you can compare him to. He was also dynamic in the fact of what he did in the community and beloved in St. Louis. You know, Gibson is kind of this, um, you know, just a, a hard line kind of guy. Ozzy is a different guy. Stan was a different guy in 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 different ways. Not bad, good at you know, just different. Um, Lou is beloved and. It's just a a different way to uh, with all these guys. So in personality, how would you def- define um, Lou Brock when you think about him and the community here in St. Louis and his relationship with the fans? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, Dan. I mean, I, I know all those guys you mentioned, and and they're all good guys. But uh, we were talking uh, as we've talked before. But Lou Brock was unconditionally a good guy. It didn't matter what the situation was. It didn't matter who you were, where you were. He was a good guy. Now, you know, you, you take uh, Bob Gibson, who I, I know is a is a, a nice person, good character down deep. But he's a little more cranky. You know, you got to catch him at the right time. He's got a little edge right to him. A little week. edge to him. Yeah. He brings <laughs> a little edge. Yeah. Lou is more like Stan the Man. Uh, uh, I think those two compare really well. Um, they were always good. I'll give you a little story about Lou. Uh, a good friend of mine bumped into Lou Brock one time at the airport and he was missing his granddaughter's birthday because he was traveling and they happened to be getting their shoes shined at the airport. So they're sitting right there next to him or next to each other. And he made some conversation with Lou and that came up that he was missing his, uh, granddaughter's birthday. So he had bought him a book or bought his grand granddaughter, I'm sorry, a book, my friend. Uh, and Lou said, well, let me see that book. And he said, do you mind if I, I wish your granddaughter happy birthday? So he opened up the book and he uh, wrote happy birthday to, to uh, my friend's granddaughter by name and signed it Lou Brock. So that's the kind of stuff Lou Brock did, you know, on a daily basis out in the community. He was just a special man. When you think about the greatest trades in, in baseball history, and I know you love, love the game of baseball, it'll go down as the greatest trade in Cardinals history, but when you look at it league-wide, where, where do you think this one ranks in terms of baseball history? Well, it, it might be the most famous, Dan. I mean, uh, there's been other really lopsided trades, um, and that trade in particular uh, uh Lou Brock coming here for Ernie Brolio was an interesting one because almost to a man, the Cardinal players in 1964 were, were uh, against that trade. They couldn't believe the Cardinals were making that trade. I mean, Brolio had won 18 games the previous season and he'd won 21 games for the Cardinals. And he was a very popular guy in the clubhouse and, and uh, a leader on that team. And that trade really shocked the Cardinal clubhouse. Of course, Brock and, and Chicago hadn't hadn't really found himself yet. Uh, he was still struggling a bit. He was playing center field and right field for the Cubs. 
hadn't hit uh, over about 258 or you know right around there for two or three seasons. I hadn't really established himself as as the kind of player he would when he came here. And then he came, comes here and and just completely changed uh it really changed uh baseball in the National League for the next several years. I mean there just there wasn't a player like Brock on the scene at that time who was a combination of both power and speed. I mean, you had Maury Wills with the Dodgers who had stolen a 104 bases uh, a couple of seasons earlier. Uh, but Wills was pretty much a singles hitter, get on base, steal bases. Brock hit double figure home runs uh, seven times in his career. Uh, so he was a different, different cat. You know, he, he could hit the ball out of the park or he could get on base and steal second. And um, he was just uh, a unique player that completely changed the culture for the Cardinals. And they, they, he fit right in, too. You know, it was, it was different because the Cardinals had black players. They had Bob Gibson and Kirk Flood, and they, and they were – he was a perfect fit here, and, and they became a very close team and took off, of course, in 64. And, that, you know – as we've talked before, you name you can name two, three guys uh, who were the, the keys to the Cardinals' success in the '60s, and uh, Brock was certainly uh, right up there at the top of the list. I think you have to go back to that time frame too, um, and when he got hit number three thousand, and all the steals, and then mix in the championships, and take a look at the time frame of when he went into the Hall of Fame in 1985. He has to be considered, at least in my opinion, one of the most underrated Hall of Famers in the history of the game. Do, do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, I do because I've I've seen, you know, especially I think Dan in the last oh I don't know ten fifteen years when you've had sort of this new wave of uh, statistical, um, uh, you know, a, a culture in baseball writing uh, and, and the way it's covered where there's this uh, new wave of statistical um, uh, information and ways of looking at the game and what players did, you know, with war and launch angles and all that, those things. Um, and so I've seen lists on the internet that uh, you, you can find stories that say that, that are about, you know, who are, who are the players who, who might not belong in the hall of fame who are on the bubble or, or the least impressive hall of famers and things and usually Brock's on that list, and it's amazing to me because, you know, I sort of judge you can you can sort of judge players and whether they belong in the Hall of Fame to a certain extent on how they impacted the game. I'll, I'll give you an example. Use a different sport. There's always an argument. I mean, who's the greatest hockey player in the history of the game? And often, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky is is talked about. I mean, he's the great one. He was the greatest player ever. I've always felt Bobby Orr was the greatest player I ever saw because he changed the way the game was played. That's what Brock did. And he got to the the Cardinals and took off. And remember, the other thing interesting about Lou Brock was he only played one season of Class A ball before he was called to the big leagues. So that had a lot to do with him struggling those first couple, three seasons in Chicago. Uh, and then finally finding himself in a different situation here in St. Louis, but he changed the way the game was played in the National League. Uh, you know, when he stole, I'll give you another example. When he stole uh, in 1974, uh, when he stole 118 bases, 
that was more bases than 17 of the 24 major league teams. Right. So, so you know, when I think about Lou Brock, I mean, for, besides the fact that he had 3,000 hits, besides the fact that he stole 938 bases and still holds the National League record with a, 118 steals in one season, he was a unique player that changed the way the game was played in the National League for the next you know, 10, 15 years. And uh, and the underline of that, Dan, is is what he did in the World Series because those teams didn't know how to deal with Lou Brock. I mean, in 1964, the New York Yankees had never seen anything like Lou Brock. I'll wrap it up with this, and Dan O'Neill is my guest. What What is your lasting impression, if you had to kind of sum it up? What what? And somebody asked you about Lou Brock. What What's going to – and it could be off the field, on the field, all of it. What What do you think about when you think of Lou Brock? Well, I usually think of the Brock umbrella. <laughs> no, <laughs> and he probably would too, because he'd want to sell you one. Yeah. So that's okay. I always wanted to. I always wanted to see him take the field with one on. <laughs> but no, I, just sort of a personal. You know, I, I have a lot of. I have several encounters with Lou, and like I said, they were all good. But one I remember was late in my career at the Post Dispatch. I was working on a story and. I went over to the uh, ballpark village uh, during one of the Hall of Fame ceremonies. It was an opportunity to, to catch some of those Hall of Famers and talk to them. And uh, and they have, a, as you know, you're part of it. They have a little private party beforehand upstairs at the restaurant. And I went up and I, I tried to talk to a couple of them, and and they were like, "No, I'm not doing that. And, you know, not right now." Um, but I went up, went up, and I caught Lou before he walked into this private party. He said, "Sure, come on in." So he takes me inside, and we sit down. And this is a party with his peers, guys he hasn't seen in years, maybe. Uh, you know, a fun time, and it's a private time. It's not supposed to be a press uh, conference or anything. But he brought me in, sat me down, and I sat there at the table, spent twenty, twenty-five minutes with me. Until I was done, and and uh, and then said, "Okay, thank you very much." I mean, that's the kind of person he was, and and uh, there weren't a lot of people that I dealt with in my years of sports writing uh, that were anything like Lou Brock. He was amazing. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for time and your your recollections of uh, of the great Lou Brock, and always appreciate your work and your books and all your years at the Post Dispatch. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Always great to be with you, buddy. That's Dan O'Neill. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. I somehow remain true to my inner feelings. Why so many of my peers lost their own self of themselves in the turmoil and anxiety of those years. I used to seek out those who shared my views about baseball. And if my peers shared my views, I was open up and speak my language. If they didn't, I would only speak theirs. Upon leaving college, I, along with my peer group, realized that we had to make a choice. I made a choice, a choice to follow my dream and to become a major league baseball player. Upon entering the big leagues, I discovered first a joy in learning and then a sense of accomplishment not only in reaching milestones, but also in leadership. I tried to take baseball with me everywhere I would go. 
but it often seemed out of place with my newfound friend. I found it extremely difficult to explain why the pursuit of excellence and the desire to excel was very special to me. Celebrating the life of Lou Brock all day on 101 ESPN. Passed away at the age of 81 over the weekend. And earlier today on the program on Carriker and uh, Smallman, I was filling in and we had the Hall of Famer Ozzie Smith. And Ozzie uh, recalled one of the first times he ever had the chance to meet the great Lou Brock. Well, you know, when, I, when I was growing up, Lou was, was a part of that uh, Mari Wills, uh, uh, those guys that stole a lot of bases and and stuff. So when I came over to the Cardinals, Lou was one of the guys that I got a chance to meet. And I think what's so great about Cardinal baseball is that you had a chance at one time to meet all of the Cardinal legends. You know, they were living people that you could put your hands on, that you could you could intermingle with. And that was that's something that's very, very special. And I don't know if every organization can, can say that they had five or six guys that were part of that were part of the Hall of Fame that you could sit and you could visit with on a daily basis. And we were very fortunate to to to, to have that at one time. You know, we were, were slowly losing each and every one of them. That's why I've always cherished the moments that I've had to to be able to, to spend with Red and Stan and Lou and Bob and you know, and it's nice to be a part of a group such as that. And I, I knew when I came over here in 1982 that I was coming to an organization that was rich in tradition. And those guys really represented what uh, professionalism and, and, and how base, the game of baseball should be played. Ozzie also said he never, ever saw Red or Stan refuse a picture or an autograph. I've never seen Ozzy do that either. Pretty incredible stuff this morning from Ozzy Smith. And also, we had Bill DeWitt III on, the Cardinals president, and talk about what they may do in the future, starting today with a doubleheader at the ballpark to honor uh, the late, great Lou Brock. Yeah, we've had those discussions. We are going to do a really cool tribute. I mean, as you know, our team is great, and and you help them out sometimes, Danny, but they're going to have a great um, video um, tribute to Lou on the game today, the first game, and probably the second game. Um, and then, of course, a lot of scoreboard-related imagery that you'll catch on the game today. Um, and some other little special stuff, I won't give it away, that you'll just kind of see uh, little touches around the ballpark today. Um, and then we will do a patch. Uh, we're working on that. It'll take a little bit, maybe a few days, four, three or four days, um, just because it takes a while. Um, but Uh, We'll definitely honor him in that way through the rest of the season. And we'll continue to do that right here on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs and BK coming up on 101 ESPN. They'll have you from 11 to 2. This is the crossover, and Ribs is in early. He is psyched up. You're ready to go. Yeah, well, we got that extra day off on the weekend, so yeah. I, I'm a little bit off balance because I keep thinking it's Monday. Yeah, and even it's a la- short week, baby. Last night, I got a little mad at my wife because... We're going to watch a TV show, and I'm like, no, this has got to be a repeat because I thought it was Monday night. Yeah, and she, yeah. So I end up losing that battle as uh-huh. always, but uh, I'm feeling good. Yeah, feeling what do you guys? Good? I mean, I'm not Danny Mac, but I feel good. I feel great. I got a double header today. I'm excited. Back Dan, home. Are you just working like a 16 hour shift today? This is, is that how this is? This is. Let me tell you something. 
This is not work, number one. This is sports back. I'm excited. We should never complain about sports. So I'm excited. We get to go down to the ballpark and do the game. I'm excited about going down back to Bush Stadium. We're not in a studio. So. Oh, wait. Have you been doing the games at the stadium or in the station here for home games? No, we're, we're in a station. So so you get to go to the stadium? Yeah, too? I'm excited about that. That is a big deal. The station's kind of chilly. I'll be honest with you. I did When we first started going down there, one of my fingers went numb, and so did one of my toes. And I'm being dead serious. That's it how I feel in here when I'm working with numb. Jamie every day. I like it I'm to be kidding. a little chilly. I mean, I'm no David Letterman, but I like it cold in here. It was uh, it was a little chilly. <laughs> Literally, one of my fingers went numb. But I was, I was not going to complain. I just went outside, and it was red hot outside. It was like 100 degrees. I was like, all right. Stick I'm, your hand out the door. That's it. It was all good. Dan, did you know your number one viewer this weekend was actually Jamie Rivers. Really? You're, you're locked in, huh? I'm locked never, in right now. I've never received more Cardinals baseball text <laughs> in my entire life than I did from one Jamie really? Rivers over the weekend. Yeah, I'm guilty of it. I never, Good. ever, ever thought I'd be a baseball guy. I can't miss a pitch now. What's your takeaway? What do you think? Well, I thought, hey, it's quite the weekend to, to yeah. win that many against the Cubs up there. And the grind that they're on, you oh. could tell that you know, yesterday I thought the errors and some of the decisions that the players made were definitely fatigue-related. A little um, bit, yeah. That throw by Colton Wong is one he makes 99 times out of 100. No doubt. Yeah. It just didn't It didn't get there. But you, you could tell. Yeah, the other play, though. Yeah. How sick was that? Pretty slick. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to have, I think, down the stretch, some of those games that you you can tell they're fatigued. And and I know fans don't want to hear that. They'd say, well, you've, you were off four months and, you know, you got to make those <laughs> plays. Yeah, you, you do. But it is what it is. You got a lot of double headers. You got a lot of games. They have 25 games in 20 days. That's your season. So we'll That's see how they. And there's a ton of double headers coming up. They got four in the next two weeks. You have two in the next three days. Um, manipulate the pitching staff. You have to get good starting pitching, and it starts today with Carlos Martinez. So we'll see. Are you? What are you expecting today from Carlos? You know, we don't get a lot of information from the the alternate site. We just don't. No, no one really does. I would say sixty five to seventy, seventy five pitches. But if he went out and threw ninety, would I be shocked? No. I mean, threw what one hundred and twenty whenever he was down in the. Yeah, back right. home and the, whatever he was doing, <laughs> pitch and run. In the spring. Even I mean, Schulte was like, what the heck are you doing? Honestly, nothing surprises me anymore. Nothing. So, uh, you know, do you get five innings out of him? That wouldn't surprise me. Does he pitch to contact? That doesn't surprise me. I'm, I'm assuming the, the point of emphasis is going to be pitch to contact. Throw your sinker, get ground balls, get ahead and counts. And the same with Ponce. You have to throw strikes. This, I'm more worried about the second game yeah. than I am the first game. So we'll see. It'll be interesting, man. KK yeah. going down really hurts them. With oh, this. man. Because they, they were set up really well with their pitching no to doubt. be able to get through this for this week. And when KK went down, we saw that news over the weekend. I was like, Phew. that one that hurts. One, that one really hurts. Think about this, guys. And I, I know we got to go, but you now have lost your closer, Miles Michaelis, Kim, your right fielder, and I'm missing somebody else. For a while, Carlos. And, and, and Carlos. Yeah, yeah. Carlos. And Carlos. Yeah. And yet you're two and a half out, and if the playoffs started today, you're in. It's so, amazing. It it's is. amazing. We're going to talk about this today, Dan, but so far this year, if you look at the errors, that's one thing. But if you look at the converting ground balls, converting balls in play into outs, the, there is no team in baseball that is better so far this year at that than the Cardinals. You read They're the article on The Athletic. I read the article on Sports Info Solutions. So that's what it was, Sports <laughs> Info Solutions. I read it, too. I take it all with a little grain of salt, though, okay? Because <laughs> there's some ground balls that should have been out. But that's okay. 
Nobody else needs to know that. Okay. All right. The article said it's true, so I believe it's true. Nothing on the internet's false. Very quickly, what do you have coming up? We've got Tim Kirchin coming up at noon. We're going to talk to him. He uh, he wrote a really uh, powerful article for ESPN.com about his experience with Lou. Uh, with Lou over the weekend. So we'll get to that coming up at noon. We have Jared at 11. Tappen coming up at 1 o'clock. So awesome. a lot to get to with Lou Brock as well today. Looking forward to it. Scotty, great job. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.